First Timothy chapter two. First Timothy chapter two. I invite you to open up to First Timothy. Okay, you got it. Okay. <laughs> the worst part, you just heard the sermon. Unbelievable, it's Second Timothy. Praise God. <laughs> Lord, it's so good. I, you know, it's amazing. I love being with family. Just, we can relax here and, and um, study the Word together. And You know, we look at different things. You know, sometimes in life, things look so easy, but yet they're so hard. You know, being a city boy, I always wondered how it would be to milk a cow. And um, how many have ever milked a cow before? All right, you guys know how it is, right? It is not easy. I um, got on the um, bucket. I had the bucket there. I had a chair here, a bucket, whatever it was I was sitting on. I grabbed, I don't know exactly what they are, and I just start. <laughs> and I can't get any milk out. And I'm trying really hard. And there's a technique to it. There's a you know, way you can do it. And um, so I finally learned, and I got a little bit of milk out, and I was all excited, and then I tried it on a goat. Yeah, have, you, have you ever milked a goat? I mean, the goats, these dumb things, you know. So I got this, this goat, and I had to battle the goat. I mean, imagine me battling a goat, and I'm, I'm, I'm moving this goat along, and I get this goat against the wall. Bing, don't move there. And I trap him against the wall, and I, uh, her or whatever it was, and I grabbed the thing, and I just... <laughs> And you know what? What's amazing about goats is the milk comes out so easy. I mean, then I felt like a professor. Then I felt like, you know, I was like, yeah, watch this. Bing, 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 bing. I mean, it was beautiful. And then it got, you know, pretty easy. How many have been to Cracker Barrel? You've been there, right? And you see that dumb thing on the table that they leave there for you? What is it called? That peg triangle? Have you seen that? Right? And you say, this thing is so easy. I'm going to do it. Bing, 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 bing. Wait a minute, wait a minute, put them all back. Bing, 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 bing. You want your order? One second. Bing, bing. And you can't get the thing. It's so so easy. But yet it's so hard. You're like, what in the world? And then I think of the easiest thing it is for a Christian to do, and that's pray. And yet it is so hard. You ever wonder why? I mean, you don't even have to get out of bed. You could sit there in bed and lay there, hit the snooze button, and give God the best nine minutes of your life praying to him, right? Which turns out to be only one minute because you pray for one minute and then eight minutes you're sleeping again. And then you hit it again, you start praying and you just give it up. You can pray when you drive. You can pray when you walk. You can pray when you exercise. You can pray everywhere. You can pray in restaurants. It is the easiest thing for us to do. Yet. It is so hard. It's hard. People say, why is it hard? Somebody wrote an article on why prayer is so hard. Mentioned a few things. One of it says it takes discipline to pray. You know, it's hard enough to pay attention to what we can see. Praying to someone we can't see. That's hard. It takes discipline to pray. Sometimes it's disappointing when we pray. We pray to God for something, for God to do something, and he doesn't answer. In fact, the exact opposite happens. 
And so you get disappointed. You say, well, why even pray if God's going to answer me this way? And so we get disappointed. Another thing is the devil. You ever think about that? Do you think the devil likes prayer? It is a spiritual warfare when we pray. And so the devil knows that. And he's going to put some distractions in our minds. How many of us have prayed and started praying for something and we forget what we're praying for? We start praying for something else and then we forget that and we go to this and we, we're praying and our minds are all over the place. The devil knows how to do that, distract us. But I think this is the main reason why it's so hard to pray. We think we can get it done by ourselves. I don't need to pray. I can prepare a sermon without praying. I can go witness to somebody without praying. I can take care of my kids without praying. I can handle my wife without praying. There's a lot of things I could do without praying. And so I start to believe this stuff that I can do this by myself and I got this. You know, show me the triangle peg thing on the table. I got that. I'll do it. I don't need God to do that. I can handle it on my own. And that's how we live our lives. We think that we are so good that we can handle things on our own that we don't need to stop to pray. We got this. No, you don't. In fact, God has a way of bringing things into our lives that we realize, I just don't have this. I need him. So if you look at this, I, I, I was trying to think of a nice title for this. I came up with the priority of prayer, but then I realized other people use that title. And so I don't like that. So I kind of named this now Spicing Up Your Prayer Life. You know, like that? And anybody like that title? I mean, probably not. But anyway, Spicing Up Your Prayer Life. Here's how you can spice up your prayer life. Here, here's how we can make it encouraging to us. We're going to see in verse 1 that one of the ways we do that is we make prayer a priority in our lives. And then we're going to see also in verses 1 and 2 that we're going to do all types of prayers and all kinds of people in our prayers, and that makes it exciting. And then the, the last thing we're going to see, Lord willing, around 2.30 today is verse 4, as how God desires that we pray. we got to understand the heartbeat of God. When we understand that, it is going to help us to have a prayer life. That, But before we even get into that, I want to show you something. When Paul starts in verse 1, after he says, first of all, and we're going to get back to that in a moment, he says, I urge, don't miss this, I urge, he's not commanding them. He's not giving them a duty. He's not saying, here's what you need to do, pray 60 minutes every day, or have a prayer list, or do this in your prayers. He's coming alongside you and saying, and aside me, and he's saying this, I'm urging you, I'm encouraging you. I read, I read this this week that really got me. Duty without desire leads to drudgery. If we have a duty to pray, but no desire to pray, it just leads to drudgery. We just do it because we have to do it. That's not what God wants. He wants to stir our hearts this morning to really have a heart of prayer. To really pray, to have the desire. I'm so glad that the gospel fuels our hearts with desires and changes our desires. So that duty is not so bad because we desire it. Because we want to honor and please God. He comes before him. He says, look, I want to urge you to do this. I'm not commanding you. I'm urging you. I'm encouraging you. This is what you ought to do. Here's what you ought to do. First of all, don't miss those words. This ought to be a priority in your life. Do you remember the whole reason why he wrote the book of Timothy? 
so that they know how they ought to conduct themselves in the very household of God. And now he's saying before even preaching, before even evangelism and all these things, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to make a priority in the church and a priority in every believer's life. This ought to be number one on your list. Prayer. Prayer. Going to God. You know why? Because when we go to God in the church and we go to God as believers, we are going to God because we know that God is in command here. No man. In fact, I'll confess something to you. I don't like the words elder rule. Stay with me. Some of you are looking at me. Ready to chop my head off. Because elders don't rule here. God does. We lead. This is God's church. No pastor rules. No deacon rules. Sorry, Cameron. No deacon rules. No congregation rules. This is God's church. He rules. And how do we submit to his rule? We pray to him. We go before him. We understand that he is in command. Now, people say, well, I do make priority of prayer, a prayer priority. Here's what I do. I, I actually pray before I eat. God, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. That's a priority there. And, and then, and then I, I pray, you know, before I do this. And I pray before I do that. And I pray before I do this. Well, that doesn't make pri- prayer priority. Let's look at something here. I want to show you something. Let's turn to Nehemiah. You say, where is that in the Bible? I don't know either, but somewhere... After Chronicles, after Ezra, keep flipping, before the Psalms, you're going to come to the book of Nehemiah. I want to show you something that's pretty interesting in his life that really encourages me when it comes to prayer. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4 shows you his heart. Look at this here. He hears that people are still in captivity, that the, the wall is not what it needs to be, and things are going on in Jerusalem. And look what he does in verse 4. He said, he heard these words, and he said, I sat down and I wept and mourned for how long? Days. Look at this. And I was fasting and I was praying Before the God of heaven. When was the last time in your life that you got before God for days asking God to do what only God can do? That's prayer. He is fasting. He is mourning. He is praying. Now watch this. Here's what I love. Chapter 1, verse 4. He does that. That's the the morning prayers that some people have. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. I love this. This is what I call the moment prayers. In the moment, when we need prayer, it's right there. Look at this. The king asked him. You know, he sees that his face is sad in verse 3. And he knows that something's wrong with Nehemiah. So the king says to him, what would you have me to do? What do you want me to do? What does Nehemiah do? Does he answer right away? No. He stops and he prays. He says here in verse 4, so I prayed to the God of heaven. That's what I call moment prayer. In the moment, we need it. In the moment, Lord, help me. I need wisdom. In the moment before we do something, we pray to God. We ask God to help us. Now, be careful with that. Somebody's talking to you and says, hey, can I ask you a question? What do you think about this? Wait a minute. I'll be right back. Father. And we start praying. No. 
But right in our hearts, we're praying to God. We know in the moment, Lord, help me not to react to this situation. Help me to pray. Help me to come before you. And Nehemiah knew how to do that. He says, let this be a priority in your lives. Going back to, to Timothy, verse 1 there. He says, I want you to pray. I want this to be a priority in your life. Not just the morning prayers where you're going before God and asking God to bless the day. But those moment prayers that we need, that we go before God and ask Him in the moment, help me with this situation. Help me with wisdom. Help me right here. We can go to God at any time. You say, what do I, what do I say in my prayers? Now, this is where this gets beautiful. He uses four different words here on how we ought to pray and how we ought to go before God. It is so much more than bless me today or help me today. Notice what he says here. He, he uses four different words here in verse 1. He's saying, first of all, you make it a priority. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, when you go before God, I want you to make entreaties. See that word? The basic meaning of that word means we lack something. We lack wisdom or we lack strength or we lack help. In other words, we're going to God and we're saying, God, I can't, but you can. I lack this. I am not able to do it. It is a request to God. It is a specific request to God. We never go before God and say, God, I have an unspoken prayer request. Can you help me? No, we go before God with specifics. Lord, I got to go to the doctor tomorrow at 10 a.m. and I got to get this done. And Lord, I need your help here. Specific. Lord, I got a friend that's doing this and that and we are specific with God. We are, we are, we are, we are talking and opening our heart to Him and we're being specific with Him. A specific need. Lord, I need wisdom for this situation. I need help with this child. I need help with this friend. Lord, help me with this. Specific needs. Then look at the next word, prayer. It's the word for worshiping God or coming to God and talking to God and, and, and opening our heart to God, but with respect. We don't go to God and go, hey, dude, how you doing today, dude? No, we go to God with worship and reverence. Father, I come to you. I have a specific request. I need help in this, Lord. I come before you and watch this. Look at the next word, only used twice in the Bible. Petitions. It's the word there to ask boldly for something. I, I, I love our kids because they feel free that they can come up to us and ask us for things. And we have a little joke in the house. When they ask me for something and I say no, I say ask me again. And I, and I say no again. And I say, you can ask me again. It's no. But you can ask me again. You know, Daddy, can I get this? No. Um, ask me again. Dad, can I get this? Nope. You want to ask me again? And they have the freedom. I praise God to come to me and ask me things boldly. We have that with God our Father. We come to the Lord boldly. We ask Him for His help. We talk freely with Him. We open our hearts with Him. And then don't ever forget this in our prayers, what we ought to add in our prayers Thanksgiving, thanking God for saving our souls, thanking God for working in lives, thanking God for who he is and what he has done. So when we go to God, we don't just go to God, bless me today or bless the missionaries or bless my work. No, we go to God and say, today I got a tough day, Lord. 
I got this going on. I got to meet with this family. I got to talk to this Lord. And we just open up our heart. I need wisdom, God. Help me with this. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to do this. Thank you for using me. Thank you for saving me. We go to God with that. You say, but what else do we go? We don't just do that for ourselves. Notice this. We do this for all men. In other words, everyone needs prayer. How many of you heard when you said to somebody, hey, can I pray for you? And they say, pray for my uncle. No, no, no. How can I pray for you? No, I don't need prayer. Oh, yes, you do. Because there's nobody doing so good that they don't need prayer. And there's nobody doing so bad that they can't use prayer. So we pray for everyone. This includes all men. We're not just going to God with our own needs. We're going to God with specific needs of other people. And we're asking God to bless whether they're Christian or not. This means my family needs prayer. My friends need prayer. My foes need prayer. There must be a concern for people, other people in our hearts. We're going to talk more about that. You say, give me some specific people in my life I need to pray for. Uh-oh, you don't want to know. You don't want to read verse 2. Let's go on to verse 3. You don't want to know who you should be praying for. You don't want to know. Look at this. Verse 2. Oh, man. You're kidding me here, Paul. To pray for who? Kings? Wait a minute. Those who are supreme rulers of nations? You want me to pray for President Biden? Now, one amen. Are you serious, Paul? You want us to pray for kings? Do you know who Nero was at that time? Do you know that Nero actually led to the execution of Paul? Do you know that Nero would put Christians in his own garden, the garden of his house? He would put Christians there and he would burn them so he would have light at night? Do you know the maniac and the lunatic that was in charge at the time of Paul and he says, pray for him? And yet, here's what happens in our hearts. Let me just tell you what happens in our hearts. We get so upset at political leaders. I'm including it. We get so mad. Our hearts burn. How can they say that? Oh, another video on him. How stupid is he? You know, and we start thinking about all these things and how, how dumb this person is. And why do they have policies like that? And when policies start to infect our lives, then we get really mad. I mean, you can have policies, but don't touch my pocket. Now we got a problem. Why don't you go move to Argentina? When we were there, it was only three, three pesos to one dollar. Right now, do you know what it is? 795 pesos to one dollar. Where families don't have jobs sufficient enough to feed their families. Where one deacon in the church down there that we started wrote me this week and said, pray for me, I am really struggling. Because I am doing extra work and yet I still can't make it to the end of the month. And why are they that way? Because their president is doing the things that they're doing. That gets us upset. And it's very hard to pray for those kind of people. And here's what Paul is saying. If you want to guard your heart from resentment, and you want to guard your heart from getting upset and telling jokes about these people and doing things about them, you ought to be praying for them. You ought to be praying for only the kings there, but all who are in authority. Their policies may, may affect your life. There may be things that you don't like about their very person. 
But he doesn't put any of that there. He says to pray for him. He doesn't qualify. Pray for the good ones. By the way, how many good ones are there? And some say none, right? There's a couple out there. But very few. And really, you see it among Christian people too that we make these jokes about presidents and different things that go on. But really, is our heart praying for him? I remember during COVID where God really struck me with this. Because during COVID, the church shut down. And did you know who we had to go to for direction? Our governor. Our governor is the only governor in the United States married to a man. And he is telling us how to direct the church. And I'm sitting on the phone listening with other pastors and everything, like 600 of us on there, and other religious leaders, and he's telling us, okay, when you open up church, here's what you need to do. And, and I'm saying, we are listening to a man who's married to another man who has wants nothing to do with God, and my heart was on fire, burning up. And then I hang up the phone, and I'm thinking, what in the world is this guy? And I think, am I praying for him? Are you praying for him? For kings? You say, what's the use of praying for people like that? Look at this here. Verse 2, it says, we pray so that we can live a tranquil life. This, is, this word here is the absence of outward disturbances. Absence of riots, picketing, and things that can really affect the church's life. Absence of this political unrest. You pray for them. You, you pray for their hearts. We're going to see how to pray for them in a moment. And not only that, look at this in verse 2. We pray not only the absence of these outward disturbances, but we pray also for a quiet life. Other words, composure, the word there is, that we have an inner tranquility. We are composed in the midst of this. That's one thing, if I could brag on my son Joshua for a moment. He, he's, he's, you know, a pretty decent tennis player like his father. Very athletic. He looks just like me, you know, really handsome young man, you know, knows how to handle a tennis racket. He really is a, you know, tremendous guy. And he's winning like crazy. It is amazing. This kid, he can't hit the ball that hard. He just barely, I mean, the racket weighs more than him. But anyway, he hits, he hits the, he hits the, I, unbelievable. you know what he does? He's on the court. He is the calmest. I don't know how he's my kid. He's the calmest kid in the world. He gets, throws the ball up, hits the ball, keeps hitting it back. And the other kid starts, no, I can't. He can't believe. He lo the other kid loses composure and Joshua wins. Joshua is a very composed young man. I praise God for that because his father is just the opposite. <laughs> I'm up there. I play, you know, throw it in your face tennis. I hit a ball, it's good. Yeah! Eat it! Eat it, baby! Eat it! I have fun out there on the courts. He's just as composed as he can be. And his opponent loses composure. His opponent hits the ball against the, the fence, throws rackets. He's seen it all. You know what God wants out of our hearts? Composure. We won't have that without prayer. You want an inner tranquility? That comes through prayer. Paul says, you pray. You say, why is this so important? Look at this. It's so he says, why is this so important? He says, so that you can live in a, in a world without these outward disturbances that are going on, this political unrest. And you can live in a world with a heart that is composed. And not only that, you're going you're gonna to be a good testimony. He's worried about our testimony, that we're living in all godliness. We're living for God. We're, we're living in reverence for God. And in all dignity, in other words, we have the respect of men. 
Because we're people of prayer. This hit me just this week because Tuesday we went to go play Sand Creek. And the coach comes up to me and goes, I hear you're a pastor. How does the coach in Sand Creek know I'm a pastor? Oh yeah, one of our kids you used to coach too. He told you you're a pastor. And you know what the kid remembered? Me and Brian, where before every game when we'd have, when we were coaching them, Brian would have them kneel down and we would pray. And this kid goes, comes up to me and goes, you know what, coach? I've never stepped foot in the church in my life, but I remember those prayers. It's the dignity that you get, the respect that you get from other people when you have a person of prayer. He says, live that way. Live in a way where you are living for God and you have that dignity among people because you're people of prayer. And you know why you pray? Look at verse 3. It's very simple. This is good. It's acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. He loves it. He's never too busy for it. He's never bothered by it. He's not up there in heaven saying, Ah, I can't believe Jeremy's talking to me again. Quiet, Peter. I need to listen to Jeremy for crying out. Now, Jeremy, what do you want? <laughs> Could you imagine a God like that? <laughs> or how about this? Hey, God, I got, I got something I want to take. Uh, can you come back in 10 minutes? I'm busy. <laughs> he never does that. In fact, he loves it. Yes. It's a delight to him. Look at this in the verse. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, I say, he loves this. I love that proverb that says, the prayer is a delight to our Lord there, Proverbs 15, 8. He loves it. And so we pray. So somebody says, okay, all right, Jeremy, I know. I pray all things. Oh, I pray all these things, all men, and I, I, I know how, I'm going to pray. I'll pray for President Biden. I'll pray for him. I'll pray different things for him. I'll, 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 I'll pray a couple of things for him. I'll pray, you know, something will happen to him, and then, and then he doesn't have to be president anymore. I'll pray, you know, this and that. I'll, I'll pray for him. Don't worry. I'll pray for him. <laughs> oh, you want to know how to pray for him? Look at verse 4. And we'll never understand this. Until we understand the heartbeat of God. This is so beautiful. Don't miss this, please. This is, this is a beautiful verse. You know the heartbeat of God? He desires all men to be what? Do you desire that? You say, wait a minute. Well, study the verb tenses here because I know this deals with some of the theology of people who believe that Christ just died for the elect and there's only elect and nobody else is going to get saved. I want you to look at the verb tenses here for a moment. It doesn't say here that God desires to save all men. This is not active tense. This is passive here. This is God's moral will, different than his will of decree that he always gets. This is God's moral will. What does he morally want? What is the heart desire of God? He gives room for people to be saved. He wants to see people saved. Now, obviously, his moral will, he doesn't want anyone to sin. Do we sin? Yes. So we break that. Do people not get saved? Yes. Do people reject God? Yeah. But he gives room. You say, well, how do I know which one is the elect and which one isn't the elect? Don't worry about that. In fact, I, I, I couldn't believe this. I was reading a story about a guy who was praying for his neighbor and he was crying, praying for his neighbor and tears were wetting his Bible and he was praying. The guy's name was Ray. Can you believe that? Who would pray for a Ray? But anyway, this, 
This guy's praying for a Ray, and as he's praying for Ray, he gets this thought, wait a minute, what if Ray isn't one of the elect? So he says to God, this is terrible theology, Lord, if, if Ray isn't one of the elect, can you change your list and put Ray on it so he can get saved? Ray wound up getting saved. But when we go to God, we don't have to worry about who's elect. And who, but God takes care of that. In fact, I'm here to tell you, if somebody's in our path, they have a good shot of being saved. Be excited about that. And when they do get saved, God gets all the credit, not us. But there's a heart desire about God here in verse 4 that I love. He desires that all men be rescued, be saved from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, from the presence of sin one day. And then look at this in verse 4. What does God want? He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of what? The truth. There's truth that they have to believe to get saved. Now here's where this is beautiful. Do you know, do you know Ryder? You guys know Ryder? I go to school there. Ryder's a character. And Ryder, he's on the tennis team. Ryder goes, uh, explain to me the gospel. <laughs> he doesn't call it the gossip, uh, gossip, gospel. He calls it the gospel. And every time he hits a good shot, he goes, Coach, I just spread the gospel. <laughs> what is the gospel, Coach? And so I explain him the gospel. I say, all right, here it is. It's, it's, it's got four essential truths in it. These are the truths you need to understand to be saved. Are you ready for this? God created you for his glory. But yet man falls short of the glory of God. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, was buried and rose again. And man must put his trust alone in Jesus Christ alone to be saved. He goes, I like number four. Then a day goes by or two days goes by and he goes, can you explain to me the gospel again? So here we are at Popeye's. We're eating, celebrating Joshua's wonderful win. Three-hour match it took him to win the match. Unbelievable. Three hours we're watching him. He wins it. We go to celebrating Popeye's. And we're sitting there. And here's his friend there. And he's got his girlfriend there. And he looks at it. He says, do you know what the gospel is? <laughs> Coach, tell what the gospel is. I'm <laughs> saying the gospel. This guy. It was unbelievable. You see, if we have a heart that desires people to be saved, we got to understand they got to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's truth they must understand. Yes. The truth is the gospel. You say, I have a hard time explaining the gospel to people. Well, come on. I wrote it out for you. There it is from the book, What is the Gospel? It's right there. You got four different things. It's in the back. You could bring it with you. Um, with you and explain the four different truths of the gospel with verses and everything there. We want them to come to the knowledge of truth. They got to understand truth. Paul, Paul, Paul explains a little bit of the gospel there in verse 5. Here it is. There's only one God. And God doesn't complicate things. There's not a thousand gods. There's one God. And here it is. There's only one mediator. How do you like that? There's only one bridge to God. There's only one way to get to a holy God. There's not a your way, my way, this church's way, that church's way, this pastor's way. That, there's one way, only one way to God. And how is that? Look at the verse. It is through the man who? Christ Jesus. He's the bridge. He's the one that died for our sins, was buried and rose again. He is the one that is the bridge to God. Only way. 
Somebody says, well, I could be good enough to get to God, or I could go to church to get to God, or I could do this. I say, well, if that's true, why did Jesus come? You can't. He's the bridge. He's the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. It's one mediator, one person that brings the bridge, the gap. What did Jesus do? Verse 6, He tells us He gave Himself a ransom. He paid the price. This hurts five-point Calvinists. For all! I love that two words. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble after this one. But for all! Paid the price for all. He died to rescue us and pay the price what? To release us. I love that word ransom. To, re to take us out of the slavery of sin. We don't have to be the same person because of Jesus Christ. He changes us. And this is a testimony given at proper time. Now watch this. Look what Paul says. Look who Paul is. Paul says this. I was appointed. This is why I was appointed. This is why God had his hand on me. He said, this is what God has called me to do. I am appointed to be what? A preacher. You know what a preacher is? Somebody that takes the message of, it's a herald there in the Bible. Somebody takes the message of somebody else who's a superior, a king, and just relays the message. I don't make up the message. I just relay the message that's been written by God. He says, I'm a preacher. I'm an apostle. I'm someone who has authority. He has to kind of defend it here in verse 7. I'm telling you the truth. Believe me, I'm not lying. I've been appointed by God. I'm an apostle. And then he says this, and I'm a teacher. I don't just preach the gospel to people and leave them there. I help them be all that God wants them to be. I teach them the essential truths of the scripture. And then he says this, I do it in faith and I do it in truth. Somebody asked Charles Spurgeon, how do, you, how do you have influence on so many people? Uh, what's, the, what's your secret? You know what his response was? He goes, I have people who pray for me. I want you to think about 1994. What happened in 1994? Oh, nothing special to you. Something special to me. 1994, I was in college and I, this guy would come up to me and he would tell me these things. Guido, I love you. And these next words really bothered me. And I'm praying for you. I would say to him in anger, don't love me and don't pray for me. I don't need it. And the God that you're talking about, I hate. He would do it. He, this guy was spiteful. He would do it. He would do it. And, he, and what he would do is amazing. You know, he, he would go, he would go. And just before he left the room, he would wait to the very last thing. And he would stick his head out the door. Guido, I just want to tell you, I love you and I'm praying. Get out of here. I'm praying for you. I'd get mad, mad. But because of his love and because of his prayers, I came to Jesus Christ. Who are you saying to today, I love you and I'm praying for you? Who's on your list who doesn't know Jesus? Open our eyes. They're all around us. You say, I need somebody. I don't have anyone. How about you start? I'll give you one. President Biden. Now, one amen. 
Some of you may have voted for him. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> but to pray for him and ask God to, to save him, that's hard. Who in your life, which family member are you going to say to, I love you and I'm praying for you? Which friend at work that you see, I love you and I'm, I'm praying for you? Which, which person that really bothers you, that, that, that hates you, that makes life miserable for you, that says things that you don't like, who are you saying that in your heart? I love you and I'm praying for you. We need to pray for our enemies as well. See, God wants them all. And until we get that heartbeat, we'll never really learn how to pray. Paul says this needs to be a priority in the church. We need to be praying for souls more here. He says, you, when you pray, you go before God and you add all these things in there. You get specific with God. You get bold with God. You thank God. But you make sure you include all men. All of them. And you understand that God desires that they'll be saved. He doesn't desire their harm. In fact, He hates it when the wicked perish. But He wants to see them get saved. Do you? Let's pray. I want you to think about one or two people in your life right now that you know don't know Jesus. And I want you to commit to praying for them this week. And maybe God will bring somebody else to share the gospel or maybe God wants to use you to share the gospel with them. But I want you to pray two specific things for them right out of the text. Pray that they'll be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. They go together. And if there's things in their minds and hearts that they don't believe, I pray that you would help them see the true gospel. Father, we come before you. We realize that there are people all around us who don't know you. And Lord, prayer is one of the easiest things we can do, but yet we find it so hard. We get in a rut with our prayers. We do a routine prayer, same kind of prayer all the time. Lord, teach us to pray and to come before you and to get specific with you, Lord. To come in a, with a heart of worship and reverence. To speak boldly to you. And to thank you. To thank you for our president. And to thank you for our authorities. To thank you for those people at work that sometimes upset us. To thank you and to realize that your heart desire is to see those people come to Christ. So may that be our heart desire as well. Lord, this is not a duty. This is a delight to come before you. So help us to use the power of prayer. God, we don't even know some of the people in our lives that could be changed if we really were to just get before you and pray for them. So Father, I pray that you would use us. You would bring them to mind. Bring this text to mind. The next time we want to get upset and angry, bitter, to remember how to truly pray. 
Thank you so much that Paul puts this a priority in the church. God, I'm thankful for Wednesday nights. We get together, we break off, we pray. I thank you for the small groups that pray. I thank you that Sunday mornings we come before you just before church and pray. But God, I, I would be a fool to say that we pray the way we ought. We need to grow in that. We need to truly understand what it means to come before you. So help our hearts. And the next time we think that we got it and we can handle this without you, remind us that no, we can't. We need you. Every waking hour. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.